Welcome to Oyana, a teenager's journey to self-love. Our mission is to inspire, educate and empower, helping teenagers to navigate through life and connect with their inner self. I'm your host, Carol Oakley, and thank you for tuning in. And if it's your first time listening, welcome. Now today, I have Radojka Miljevic, who is a management consultant, predominantly focusing on sort of the not-for-profit not sectors. Now, Radojka has an interesting story. She's ha she had an unconventional childhood, and I know that you're going to enjoy her story because it's a really interesting one. Welcome, Radojka. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good, thank you. It was my birthday on Saturday, so I'm still buoyed by the positive feelings from that, so thank you. Oh, fantastic. And thank you so much for, for joining me today. You know, it's a, an absolute honour having you on my show. And I know, you know, you've got lots of stories. Your story is, is, a, is a great one. And I know our listeners will really find it interesting. And I know it will be of benefit in some way. So thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, so what I'm going to be covering today, it's just the sort of the usual format. It's your childhood, you know, your school life, career journey, Sort of well-being, personal development and as always I'd like to offer our listeners some advice and tips along the way. So first of all um, Rodoike, can you just tell our listeners just a little bit about your you know about your, your background, your childhood, your schooling, your career path? Sure so as you can probably tell from my name um, I haven't <laughs> got quite the sort of mainstream upbringing. So my parents came from another country. They came from former Yugoslavia and they came to um, England after the Second World War because there was civil war going on in Yugoslavia at the same time as the Second World War. And the people who won out then were the communists and my parents weren't communists. So, so they had to flee. They had to come to another country and they came to England. So that was the first thing that was slightly unconventional about my background is those people who came from other countries then they were so keen to preserve their cultures that they you know spoke their native language at home um, they they wanted to kind of preserve some things about the countries that they'd left and so there was always this sort of strange fit with being english or being british and being Serbian or being Yugoslav. Mm. So that strange kind of mix of cultures that, that sometimes you sort of feel you're not quite normal. The second thing that happened in my childhood is that when I was seven, my mother got cancer and she died. Mm. So I was living with my father and three older brothers uh, in a totally male household. And in some ways that had a really positive effect on my life. And in some ways that had a kind of challenging effect on my life, but it was unusual. So I was in this very male household. And then just to throw another curved ball oh, into the mix, goodness. some of my wider relatives and, and probably my father as well, with my best interests at heart, thought when I was about eight that, you know, maybe it wasn't the right thing for a young girl to be brought up in this very sort of male household. And so they transported me to Yorkshire uh, from, from Bedfordshire to theoretically be brought up until I was 16 and, and a young lady. That was the idea that I would be sort of brought up by these other relatives and uh, maybe I'd come back when I was 16. Well, of course, that didn't quite work. And I was there for a year and then I had to come back to Leighton Buzzard. So I, I had this thing of being a southern girl going up north 
developing a northern accent because you had to fit in oh my and goodness then coming back to the south with a northern accent and having to <laughs> recover a southern accent so in many different ways my childhood was a bit unconventional and then there was a the thing about being a working class household so my father couldn't read and write um, he worked in a factory and so we didn't have that access to lots of books and um, stimuli, lots of games, you know, we weren't very rich. So in a way, we had that rather sort of creative and free childhood in some ways where we were outside playing a lot all day long while my mm. dad was at work, um, when we weren't at school. Um, and in some ways that was great and liberating. But it was also different to other children. You know, I didn't have sort of 10 Barbie and Cindy dolls and, um, you know, playhouses and all of those sorts of things. Um, so, so class, ethnicity, um, uh, trauma, in a way, those were all things that, that were, were sort of predicaments, if you like, to, to um, overcome, but also um, that probably helped to make me who I am. So wow. that's the childhood bit. Um, the school bit, so the great, great fortune for me is that I was good at school and I really loved school and I love sport, I love music, I love studying. When my brothers went to school and my best friend Jane went to school, I was absolutely devastated that I couldn't go to school. And I felt like this, this amazing treasure was being kept back from me. And I was one of those annoying little sisters who was constantly pestering my brothers to give me spelling tests or teach me things <laughs> that they'd learned at school. Because I just felt it was this great big sort of mystery that oh, somehow wow. was being, being kept away from me. So that had a very positive effect on my life because obviously um, studying well and doing well at school gave me lots of positive feedback and acclaim from my teachers and, and in a way sort of compensated for that sort of strange, you know, um, environment that I was growing up in. I, I was lucky that lots of people said really nice things to me at school that made me feel sort of good about myself and that, and that was important to me at that time. And I enjoyed it. I, you know, I loved sport. I loved music. And maybe growing up in a male household, um, I probably got some of my brother's competitive instincts. Mm. And I didn't go to school with a notion that somehow because I was a girl, I had to stay within a sort of certain lane, as it were, that, you know, that I shouldn't come top of class or that I shouldn't do well at physics or something. I came to school thinking, you know, I can be good at whatever I want to be and I'm going to give it a go. And so I, I was there, you know, competing with some of the boys in some of the more traditional boys subjects as they were when I was growing up. I hope it's changed a bit now. So, so again, some of these sort of unconventional things in my background, in a way, fed the seeds of some of the rebellious mm. instincts that I probably have as an adult. Wow, gosh, that is, yeah, that is such an unconventional childhood. But, you know, like you said, I think obviously you going through this has made you, made you how you are. Um, can you give any advice to our listeners that are going through sort of changes in their life in terms of like environmental changes and how they can sort of deal with it? Um, because it sounded like you, I mean, you went through so many obstacles in your, in your childhood. I've got so many questions for you based on your childhood, but is, is how did you deal with it emotionally? Because um, it's, I mean, it's quite a lot that you went through as, as, at such a young age. Well, I would say um, some of it I dealt with and some of it 
I started to deal with better as an adult. And in some ways, I think for people who have experienced some kind of trauma, in a way, they're always dealing with it in different ways and sort of re looking at it from another angle and saying, OK, how does that look when I look at it from here? Now I'm, you know, 50 something. How does it look like when mm. I'm in a different predicament? So I think there are some things where you're always returning to some key events and having another look at them. But obviously, with the benefit of distance and objectivity and um, and kindness towards your younger self. So I think it's helpful sometimes to give yourself some advice, you know, what would you say if your friend were talking to you about some of the things that you're experiencing? What advice would you give them wanting to be kind, wanting to be loving, wanting to support them? I think it's also really important to find your supporters. So I, you know, during the pandemic, lots of people were tidying out cupboards and all the rest of it. I feel a bit guilty because I have barely tidied out my house at all. <laughs> I, did, I did tidy one trunk where uh -huh. I found loads of letters and cards. And, and suddenly I was really struck by when I was at school, how many people were willing me well in different ways. You know, mm. I found lovely little cards and, and letters of support. When I got to university, a teacher who taught me when I was about 10, you know, had written me a letter saying, you so deserve to go to university, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was this lovely thing. And I suddenly realized, wow, around you is this massive net of support. Mm. You just need to know how to tap into it. And sometimes that means being willing to ask for help. I think yes. sometimes when I was younger, I was a bit reluctant to say, this is really difficult, I need help. Mm -hmm. um, but I, looking back, um, I, I recognise that there were many, many people around me who were constantly trying to sort of blow air under my wings and let them fly a little bit. Yes. So I think if there is something where you're in some environments or predicaments that feel difficult, you know, think about who can you talk to? Let your defences down. Don't think that you have to experience something on your own or suffer mm. something on your own. Yes. It's always different when you have a chance to unpack it with someone and look at it with a tiny bit of distance and say, you know, what can I do with this thing? How can I face this thing? What's a way around this thing? Mm. So don't just hold it is my, is my first bit of advice. Don't just nurse it to yourself. Yes. It will make you unhappy. Second thing is find the supporters, find some people that you trust. They can be any age. They don't have to be your age. They could be much older. They could be um, neighbours. They could mm. be anyone who's in your circle. But there will be people that you know, like you, are fond of you, care about you. Yes. And your challenge is to let the defence down. Yes. And open up and share it with them. And I promise you, that will never be a bad process. That that is never that never has bad outcomes. It only has good outcomes. Yes, and that's such a great piece of uh, advice, Rodoika, because it is very much knowing that you're not on your own, you know, and not to suffer in silence. And there is, there's always someone um, who's, yeah, who's waving your flag, who wants to help you. Because as human beings, uh, we, we, totally. we do want and, to help, don't we? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think my, I strongly believe that most people are fundamentally disposed towards being good and wanting to do good for yes, other people. that's right. That they want the best for other people. So around you will be people who want the best for you. Mm. And, I, and I think we, we, you know, I see it all the time in life. You know, there are people who maybe other people write off in some way. You treat them kindly. 
they treat you kindly back and, and suddenly they surprise you in some amazing way. So, you know, most people are fundamentally good. They mm. want to do the best. And if someone asks for help, you'll be surprised how many people spring forward yes. and, and want to do the best for them. So, so your, your challenge, if you're in that predicament is to, is to share the thing that feels really difficult, that feels painful or embarrassing or uncomfortable and remember that many people are, are a bit less mainstream than we like to think that, that many of us have had some unconventional things in our lives. Mm. That even the people who look sort of normal, whatever normal is on the outside, actually are much more kind of complex on the inside yes. than, yeah. than we assume. Absolutely. And it is. We've all got our struggles. We've all overcome obstacles. We're not all perfect. And it's just seeing through that knowing that we're all in the same boat in one way or the other we're all dealing with we're dealing with dealing with stuff um so it's very much like you said just just reach out reach out because we all want to help we all want to help in in one way or the other um Udoika, you, you said you suffered with lack of confidence when you were younger how did you overcome that i well, I suppose I had a funny mixture of confidence about some things, like I knew with exams or something that I could be confident about those things. But I had this sort of lack of confidence, maybe about um, maybe about sort of being normal in a way, because I had this sort of strange life, you know, behind the front door that felt yeah. like a different world from some of my friends. Like we never you know, our Christmas day was a different day, you know, so on the 25th of December, we weren't, you know, piling a tree with presents. And so you sort of feel like you have to hide some of that. And I think that feeds into then feeling a bit underconfident that you mm. can't quite be your whole self yes. with other people. And in a way we're beginning to recognize the value of being your whole self with other people more and more. You know, mm. if I think about my work as a consultant now, you know, there's a big focus on organisational cultures and whether everyone working in a workplace feels like they can bring their whole self to work, you know, whatever their sort of backgrounds, whatever their experiences, whatever their parents' experiences. So I think, I think some of my lack of confidence was this, was fed by this sort of fear of being a bit different mm. and sort of feeling like, well, I can't quite show that because I feel a bit embarrassed and ashamed about it yes and so in a way maybe it just um you know made me hold back in some situations where actually I should let myself go more and you know just enjoy being myself and not sort of worried about what other people may think yeah but you know um so again I'm sure you know if anyone listening you know has that sort of fear about being different you know like I said actually people are much more different than you think they are yes um, you <laughs> you're know, so right you know, be your be yourself there will be people who love you for being yourself mm -hmm. don't be afraid of that I like that I like that a lot are there any subjects at school you wish they taught you which could have made you a you know a better person when you were younger um well I would have I think there were, there were, well, there were lots of things that I um, wished I'd studied, like, I don't know, you know, philosophy and German. And, and yet, yeah. so one of my frustrations at school was that you always, you had to choose this thing or the other thing. You couldn't mm. do both of them. There was this sort of slightly kind of binary thing about, you know, you're doing French or you're doing German, but you're not doing French and German sort of thing. Um, yeah. But I think... Um, 
I would have loved to have done some things like, so now it's very different for young girls, but I would have loved to have played football, for example. I, I love football massively. <laughs> and of course, you can now understand from learning a bit about my background that I may well have been in an environment where there was football, 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 yeah, you know, come and I can tackle see me that. in the back garden, you know, <laughs> football posters on the walls, you know, football cards to swap. And so, um, Sometimes I think, oh, how amazing to grow up now mm. where, you know, some of the traditional kind of gender divisions about who can do what are hopefully being melted away a little bit. And um, if I could have my time at school again, you know, I'd be like, right, I want to play football. <laughs> you still can. You still can. <laughs> As a hobby, I, I maybe. Know, I know. You see, the, 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 I crave to be good at things. So I'd oh, be constantly God. disappointed in myself that it's like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not Pele, you know, I'm oh. not, you know, or a great kind of, you know, England woman footballer sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would have loved. I would have loved that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I mean, you did really good at school in terms of grades. Again, you know, mm. coming from such an unconventional background, what gave you that um, motivation and, you know, that, that focus? What, what was it that yeah. what allowed you to do that? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I guess somewhere I had this drive about wanting wanting my life to be better. So I had a real drive from a very young age I think to say you know things my life can be better I can have more opportunity than this I didn't really know what that meant you know when I was little I just thought I want to have a really good job and I want to earn loads of money you yeah. know, I had this sort of really kind of simple thing I want to be rich I want to be famous I want to you know but it was all about a kind of escapism in a way so so there was a drive that was about you know I want to be in a kind of, I want to be in an environment where I have more opportunities um, but I think I also just enjoyed I really enjoyed learning and I still do. Mm. In fact, if I'm, you know, when I think now as an adult, if there are times when I'm unhappy, it's either because I'm not learning things, you know, if I'm not continually learning, I'm somehow a bit frustrated. And um, if I'm not having access to beauty in some way, you can, you can come back to that. But, yes. you know, that also makes me sort of unhappy. So, so the drive was I really, really loved learning. And um, I was then just lucky that really from a young age, I had some amazing teachers all along the way who'd say really positive things about, you know what, you should go to Oxford. And they'd be saying that to me when I was about nine. Wow. And um, even though I wasn't in the best schools in the town that I was in, I, w I didn't go to the, you know, ex-grammar school. I went to the other kind of comprehensive school. Um, but it still had some great teachers and they gave me a lot of encouragement and I felt like they made a special effort. And my school, of course, was desperate to get people into the top universities to try and improve its kind of standing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then and then that thing about the competition with, with some of the boys, I had, I had some boys in my year who we'd been through the same years together for about six or seven, eight years, you know, always at the same schools together, yes. always coming first, second or third together. So 
and I still um, know um, one of them really well now. And, um, you know, I remember having dinner with him a few years ago and he was saying, it was so good to have you in my class because, you know, the competition made me better sort of thing, you know. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, maybe that's right. You know, we may not have thought about it like that at the time, but we just really wanted to do well and we mm. really wanted to be first. Yes. And, and um, we were we were unapologetic about it. Sometimes I think some young people, and I don't think I was always explicit about it as a young person either. You almost feel embarrassed to say, I really want to do well. I, wa I want to be first in the exam. It almost mm. feels like uncomfortable to say that, but actually it's okay to have that drive. I think if you love the subject, yes. and if you love learning, you know, find the things that you really, really love. It really matters if you really enjoy doing something, yeah. you're more likely to do it well. And if yes. you do it well, you're probably more likely to enjoy doing it. There's a lovely virtuous circle. And that's not just about when you're young. That's about when you're older as well. It's exactly mm. the same. Yes. You know, people, people need to find the things that they enjoy in yeah. their work. Yes. And then they will enjoy, you know, the, the work will sort of generate a sense of satisfaction for them. That's right. You don't see it as a chore. It's just a, something that you that you love and it just makes your day so much better and so much brighter, you know, when you're doing something that you like or, you know, that you love. So that, as you said, I think that's so important. It's just trying to find something that you, you like and you don't really need to know what you want to do when you're at school. I mean, some kids do know, but it's it's all about exploring, isn't it? You know, and tapping into things that you do like and you know, searching for things that you don't like and giving giving them a go. Totally, I think I think there is much more scope for experimentation and exploration. Yes, than you think there is when you're younger, and I think there's a lot of pressure nowadays on people to have a very sort of defined path of some kind, and this mm. course has got to lead to a job, and and I know it's difficult because actually the labour market at the moment is really, really difficult for lots of reasons, the pandemic included, yeah. for young people. Um, and, and in some ways, you know, it's a luxury if you don't have to find any job sort of thing. Um, but um, don't worry, you know, your 20s are a long, if you get into your 20s, if you go through the, your teenage years and you're beginning to think about things and your 20s are there for you to, to feel your way around things, you know, have a go at some different things. Don't yes. feel like you've got to land That's on, right. on the exact place. Sometimes I used to think about, you know, try and find an organisation that you want to be in, even if it isn't quite the right job. If that organisation has a kind of mission and a purpose that, that means something to you, because things change within organisations, you know, good people get spotted, you know, sometimes things are a bit more fluid than you think they are. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's a long journey, I suppose. And, and, and in a way, we're always still kind of learning. You know, I'm still learning now. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Just going on to your career, Rodoike, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So I, um, I, I specialise in a subject they call governance. So this is... Um, uh, 
sitting above organizations whether they're companies or charities or or different kinds of sports organizations or membership bodies there'll be a group of people called the board who make decisions about the strategic direction of the organization so they'll decide in five years time we want to be doing this and we want to get money from there and we want to grow or we want to be operating in some other areas of the country and so on and so on so i work with that group of people at that level mm -hmm. trying to help them a make sure that they're an effective team that they understand how to work well together that they do the right things that help them make effective decisions and um and that they develop their own thinking and develop themselves and that takes me into working with you know the senior people in organizations as well because in a way they have to feed information to a board and so i often work with the executive teams so the kind of top people who are kind of running organizations to um, help them think about their effectiveness and how they work together. And then sometimes I'll work with organizations to help them set their strategies. So if they sort of say, we've got to you know, create our strategy for the next three years or the next five years, and we want to start that process and we want to do some workshops and things, I will come, come in and help them do things like that. Excellent. Because you, before you sort of landed this job, you used to work for Thompson, Thompson Holidays, I didn't did. you? <laughs> I did. I, I had a strange, so I had this sort of weird kind of, I basically had several different careers in a way. So it goes back to the, the bit of me that loves learning is that I sort of arrive in a certain environment and then really apply myself and think, right, I'm really going to learn how to, how to do this well. And then all of a sudden, sometimes it sort of takes me in a direction that I don't necessarily expect to, to take. So what happened was my first job was in London University. Um, doing, I kind of um, came in in a kind of admin role and then within six months was in this kind of editing role. And then within a year was sort of running this, this you know, I was the manager of the kind of publications and the conferences. And I thought I'd come to this really quiet bit of London University where I was going to learn about my, you know, my background, my heritage, because it was all about Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. And uh, after about a month, the Berlin Wall came down and the whole place went bananas. So it wasn't this kind of quiet <laughs> cultural battle. It was like, you know, one of the academics being on ITV News, you know, with the Romanian revolution and all sorts of things. But it, it was an amazing opportunity for me because it meant that I had contact with, with many, many people and lots of kind of international environments. And um, so I learned a huge amount and I really learned a lot about editing work, you know, about editing, writing and and right. trying to make um, writing you know more accessible and all of those sorts of things and while I was working there some of the academics there would keep saying to me oh you should you should go into academia you know you shouldn't you shouldn't you're on the wrong side of the table you, you should be studying so this sucked me into doing an MA while I was there which I, I did full-time while I had a full-time job, which is insane. Oh anyway, my goodness. That's another story. That's another program or something. Yeah, I've got to get um, you back for that one. Yeah. And then eventually I did a, I decided to do a PhD. I decided to do a doctorate and then I left my job. Um, and in the last year of my doctorate, so I had money for three years and it took me four years to do. So in the fourth year, oh like I must, and I did various bits of freelance work and things, but I thought, oh my God, I must, you know, um, find find some work you know to keep me going so the nearest so that I went to a temp agency I was always good at typing went to a temp agency and the nearest um, employer was Thompson Holidays and they said oh we can't 
very challenging manager you know nobody else has lasted with them you know we kind of keep saying I was like, well I, I can only do my best I'll give it a go and then of course as soon as I met the person who was absolutely lovely um uh, but he used to churn out lots of writing but he was mm-hmm. a bit disorganized and um so I started organizing him um sort of like managing up as they call it and then within about six weeks his manager said you know I really like you you know I think you should do my job after me why don't you come and work here oh, wow. and I'll give you a proper job and you know so at the time I knew I didn't want to become an academic and it wasn't that I thought I've got a career at Thompson Holidays but it, I thought well I've got some debts from my PhD this is a proper job I'm just mm. going to sort out some things to do with some of their um, resort offices and um and I thought, oh, well, it, give, it will get me back into the job market. And yeah. then lo and behold, you know, one thing and another happened. I got promoted, this, that and the other. And I suddenly been there for four years and thought, my gosh, I've got to get out of here. This isn't my dream in a travel company, um, <laughs> even though it's kind of interesting environment. And actually, yeah. they were very forward thinking about some of the things that they did around um, you know, uh, staff appraisals and competencies, things that it's taken the not-for-profit sector about 20 years to catch up with. So in some ways, it was a great experience for me right. for all-round skills. I did a lot of kind of project management stuff there. But I sort of thought, right, I've got to get out of here. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And meanwhile, I was doing some election observation missions in the former Soviet Union as like an international observer. So that was another track that was running alongside this. And uh, anyway, I thought I've, I've saved up enough money not to work for a few months and I'll have a proper think about what I'm going to do. I'm really going to focus <laughs> on it. And while I was sort of having this proper thing, it was lovely, actually. It, I, I um, you know, helped various friends doing things like one of them hadn't done their tax returns for several years someone else was moving it was really enjoyable because I was like this little angel that could kind of come out and just help with things I loved it um anyway one of my friends who was an IT person sort of wrote to me and said oh there's a housing association in um Brent uh in a in a area of Brent that um had some kind of notorious problems there you know some drug crime things like that um Uh, they're looking for a project manager for six weeks you know whilst you're thinking about things okay why don't you put your hat in the ring (laughs) give it a go oh they'll they'll never want me i haven't done any consultancy or anything though you know so i i did the application but i was very sort of skeptical about about it um being successful and then had an interview and lo and behold i got i got this job and that was the beginning of my consultancy career so that was about 17 17 and a half years ago wow. <laughs> so so I fell down a little kind of rabbit hole and all of a sudden it kind of led to other things I had several years of working on my own and I kept thinking I must get a business card at some point because I hadn't actually I kept I had this sort of fantasy I need to set up my brand and all the rest of it but mm. I was too busy to actually um. do all of those things because people would recommend me to other people and then all of a sudden I, I met the, the two guys who started the company that I'm a partner in now and they were very in the early years of the company so they hadn't employed any senior uh, member of staff okay. and um, they advertised a role saying well we're looking for a consultant and they need to be a finance person and I thought well I'm not a finance person but I think they just need a kind of clever pair of hands that can kind of absorb <laughs> some of the stress so I sort of rang one of them up and said oh, I'm not going to waste my time applying if if 
you know, you're very fixed on something. They were like, no, no, you know, put your hat in the ring. So I did. And, and anyway, that's how the consultancy stuff got. Great. Wow. God, what a, what a journey. And I, and I guess I think the key message here is for our listeners that, you know, doesn't matter what job you're in or what field you find yourself in, you are building up skills, you know, don't think you're doing something. You might be in, you think you're in a, in a mundane position, but at the end of the day, it's not mundane because you are gaining skills and you are gaining experience. Totally. And, and, and be hungry in those, some employers offer more of those things than others, you know, more mm-hmm. opportunities to learn something, do something, yes. snatch them up, you know, really, really try and make the most of the environments that you're in and, and kind of, you know, there's something about the air, you know, in a good, in a good workplace where you can learn a lot from just listening to people talking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and trying to kind of breathe that air in and try to make sense of things and um and and take risks so in my early years of consultancy i had a a a little mantra with a colleague of mine which was show no fear Mm. so i might do many things that that i would be apprehensive about but you can't let other people feel that you have to you know in a way it's almost like stepping into a performance you know when we see athletes at the olympics and they're Mm. practicing their run up to the hurdles they're running forwards they're running backwards they're running forwards they're running backwards before they're actually going to run the race well in a way some aspects of work can be a little bit like that where you need to think about i've got to step into my performance mode and i can't i might be feeling really anxious Mm. and, and a bit of fear actually I need to step across that because it's going to hamper my performance I need to turn it into anticipation and expectation I'm going to do this really well so I would say don't don't let fear hold you back from trying things Mm -hmm. it's really important to take some risks in the workplace and try things even if you feel anxious about them not sure not confident wonder whether you're good enough you know, we, we tell ourselves a lot of stories about how we're not good enough to do things. And I think sometimes we need to kind of rebalance that and say, actually, I'm really good at all of these things. That's Why right. shouldn't I have a go at this and maybe find out that I'm good at this or, or that this doesn't suit me, you know? Exactly. Because um, we are our biggest fear, aren't we? You know, when we, you know, when we think about it, because we're the ones that are making up all these stories in our head <laughs> about things that haven't really happened, you know? So it's just literally not you know, just being fearless and just like, like you said, just taking risks and just go for it. You know, the worst that can happen is it not working out, but at least you can say I tried. (laughs) Exactly. And maybe you find out a bit more about what it is that you love, what you don't love. You know, sometimes as adults, we hear the kind of phrase self-limiting beliefs. And that's about saying, oh, I'm no good at this, or, oh, no one would like like it if I did such and such a thing, or, you know, these kind of bit of self-talk that you do sometimes that, mm. that constrains you, that traps you in. And I think sometimes you need to let go of that. Have you really tested that that's true, that you're yes. no good at something, or that you can't be good at something, or, um, you know, t- taking risks is sometimes a really important part of personal growth mm-hmm. that you sort of push yourself a little bit outside your comfort zone and just say, okay, well, why don't I give it a go? And I, I would say a, a, a lot of my own personal successes have sometimes arisen from, you know, giving something a go 
full of trepidation yeah. <laughs> about whether whether I'm going to be any good at something but nevertheless sort of saying you know what I'm I'm going to I'm going to give it my best I'm going to yeah. give it all like all someone can ask is that I've given it my best that's if it right doesn't work, then you know that's you know that's fair enough that's right absolutely absolutely did you ever come any obstacles to get to where you where you are well I think I think all those kind of um obstacles about my background were there but I think as a as a woman trying to kind of thrive in different environments I think sometimes that can be an obstacle I mm. think um we're still um in an environment where um you know it can feel as though you need a man to sort of repeat something in order for it to be heard so mm -hmm. you know I'm still struck by how biases operate in the different environments that we're in so I think yes. I think there can be obstacles to overcome um, if um, you're somehow not seen as the kind of default norm in inverted commas and I think privilege is is there again in a lot of the environments that we work in so I see myself as someone who's come from an environment with no real privilege and now I definitely recognize I have privilege I'm a white person who walks into a room who sounds middle class um, who has you know great networks and all of those things I have a lot of privilege yeah and I think it's my job to my mission actually almost to make sure that I use my privilege to bring to light circumstances for people who don't have privilege mm. um, and to try and um, make sure that the organizations I work with are alive to those sorts of things. You know, inequality, um, it feels like every day at the moment that we kind of open a newspaper or look at the news and inequality sort of smacks us in the middle of the face in yeah. one way or another. So I think, I think overcoming, you know, I, I think those kind of big barriers for me feel sort of real and mm. I feel like I've experienced some of those things myself and, yeah. and I feel on a mission to not let go of them for other people. You know, mm. I want the best outcomes for other people who are in environments without privilege where yeah. they should have many more opportunities than they have at the moment and yeah. much fairer treatment and all of those sorts of things. So, so I, yeah, I feel driven by that. Brilliant, brilliantly said. And, you know, Rodokia, I am going to do a series on careers. So I'd love to have you back, you know, so you can just talk a little bit more about, <laughs> about your mission <laughs> in the workplace. <laughs> I'm just talking about the workplace. What you've put here, you said I, one of your obstacles, and you did touch upon it, but I just wanted to sort of go over it again in terms of women. You said, I think women sometimes feel they have to be twice as good to be treated the same as men. When, when did you come to that realisation? And do you try and empower women in your workplace to think differently? Yeah, I, I, I think I came to that realisation probably over the last 20 years, so over a long period of time. I don't yeah. think I was a, as alive to it when I was younger, um, but maybe it's that um, you see the sort of career differentials much more starkly when you're older, you know, mm. how, how, you know, men's careers unfold, how women's careers unfold, and... Um, yeah maybe may, maybe in some of the kind of professional environments i mean i just feel much more sort of alive to it and i think um you know we you know equality has come you know has has traveled some distance but my goodness it still has some distance 
to travel and yet sure. to come. So, so I think, yes, over the last 20 years, I've forgotten the second part of what you asked. No, what the realisation. Yeah. When did you um, come to that? And, you know, do you, obviously, you, you must empower, obviously, women in your workplace. So yeah. I, I, I hope I do. You'd have to ask them that. But I, I for example, I have um, and have um, had for some time mothers in my team, you know, one of whom works part time, yeah. um, one of whom lives in another place. And it's it's been really important to me that I try to be someone who acknowledges um, the challenges that they have and, and that I support them through that and that I don't see um, being part-time or being in another location is somehow um, mm -hmm. something that, that they shouldn't be treated as equally as others yes. um, in terms of their career development and progress. So, um, and I'm really proud that we have some amazing people um, in my workplace. And, um, you know, um, recently I've sort of wrote an article with one of my colleagues in my team, you know, things like that I think are really important where, again, how are you using your privilege yes. to help foreground the talents of other people? This isn't just about you, you know, mm. this is about doing what you can to create opportunity for others. So that's, right. um, that's something that I feel quite focused on and um, care about. Fantastic. And here, I've, I've liked what you've put here um, about what you offer to your field, you know, sort of telling stories and helping different conversations. And also what I, also you said um, that the, the aha moment that you had, you realised that you're not actually writing reports, you're writing stories. <laughs> I had a kind of moment where I was writing something the other week and I thought, haven't gone back exactly to the brief and what they've asked, you know, haven't gone, you know, 1.1A, um, 1.1B, 1.1C. I've sort of stepped back and thought about the story of this organisation and how the story has been changing. Mm -hmm. And I've started to kind of write something about that. And, and, and as I was sort of writing that, I suddenly realised wow, I'm, I'm actually engaged in is writing stories um, and, um, and, and reinterpreting organisations back to themselves, you know, to say, you know, when I've, when I've put you through, through the, the mincer of my brain and sort of thought about your story, this is, this is what your mirror looks like. I'm holding your mirror back up to you and the story is like this sort of thing. So it's not, I'm still doing the thing that they're paying me to do, hopefully. But it, it, it was actually a bit of an aha moment because I realised that what I really love is the stories. Mm. You know, it's the stories of, of how do I position where they are in a process of change where they've come from, mm -hmm. where they are now, where they need to get to, and what the things are that are going to help them do that. And in a way, it's a kind of form of storytelling, yeah. you know, that what I really enjoy. And sometimes in when I do facilitation of, of kind of groups, you know, talking about a subject, again, what I, I really enjoy is sort of listening to them and then saying, so I think what I've heard is something 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 and it won't be exactly what they've said it's somehow my interpretation right. my storytelling for them back to them and and i'm always really struck by how people are taken with the power of stories that stories mm. help them make sense of things that those moments where sometimes you play something back 
and suddenly someone will grab hold of a phrase that you've used and say, that's, right. that's it, you know, and, and it feels like for them some sort of aha moment. So somewhere they're probably very deep rooted in our, in our kind of unconscious or something, you know, going back to being babies and all of those sorts yes. of things is, is that we, we're attracted to stories. We need right. stories help us make sense of big events mm -hmm. um, and, and help us somehow navigate something. So, so it was, it was an aha moment. Um, <laughs> although it's coming from the most kind of ordinary and sort of banal of circumstances, but I suddenly thought, yeah, wow. I'm Powerful moment. Most interested in is stories, you know, which probably means I should go and do something completely different and start the next career <laughs> a rabbit hole. And 15 years later, I suddenly find myself doing something completely different. But yeah, it was. It did feel like a, a little epiphany, and you know, a bit of a oh wow, brilliant, 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 brilliant. Talking about stories, can you recommend a book that you know get that gave gave you or made a, such a great impact on you can you think of a book well I can think of something I read recently but it's so it's not necessarily something from my childhood but there's a, a poet called Claudia Rankine who um, wrote something I think it's called something like citizen American lyric or something like that yes and it's about um, experiences through the filter of sort of being black and you know getting on an airplane sitting next to someone white who somehow doesn't think it's right in first class that you're sat next to them and there's a so she creates a lot of scenarios and vignettes about oh. experiences and it there's something about that book that seared my consciousness mm. about you know um i've got to be more active in in being anti-racist you know i've got to t i've got to take responsibility for this as well you know yes. this is this this isn't you know so there, there, i can't explain it but there was just something about how she wrote about things about different kind of vignettes and and some things about famous people there's a kind of section that's about um serena williams um, oh wow and and actually the the ever since then i mean i always liked serena williams i always thought she's an amazing athlete but i feel like i'm kind of championing championing her corner like at the moment i really want her to win the american <laughs> open i just really really want it for her so it's sort of some of it's a bit you know um uh i don't know kind of silly in a way probably um but somehow it's you know it goes back to that thing about supporters yes you know, i'm, I'm I'm in the camp of her supporters, you know, right. I'm willing her, willing her willing on her to do well. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm also expanding my net of support to a whole, whole load of people where I think, okay, we, we've got to change things. We've mm, got to make change, change your mindset. This, this is not okay. The way yeah. that we live is not okay. And actually white people need to care about that. Um, Brilliant. So, that, Brilliant. That's a, so that's the, this is another episode i've definitely got to get you back on <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah but it's yeah. important that you know that that um it kind of connects with with some of the things that we've been talking about in a way. yeah definitely and i will definitely add that 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 um to my my uh my list because that sounds really interesting mm -hmm. do you have any personal habits or daily routines you feel have contributed to to where you are now to your success so, so I think for me, um, walking 
it may mm-hmm. sound like a sort of trivial thing but walking is is re- now wa- one of the reasons why i walk is because we didn't have a car when we were kids my my dad didn't drive yeah. and i failed my driving test three times trying to reverse around a corner oh, so my, my little joke about that is that i'm not made for going backwards i'm only made for going forwards um, <laughs> i like that but, but you know so walking it's walking for me isn't, isn't like some sort of chore it's almost like fundamental to my core being that i have to get out and walk every day mm. and it helps me process stuff it's like a way of decompressing your brain you know if you're really stressed out about events in the day about how people have behaved or about something you can't you know trying to write something or study something or learn something you can just there is something that there probably is some research that shows that walking is beneficial for sort of mental health Mm. so for me it's a kind of fundamental part of staying mentally healthy is to go for a really good walk you know like an hour or something you know that it's got to be for me at least an hour um and then there are some other things that I've sort of got into the routine of doing. Like I have my hot water and lemon every morning. <laughs> and I like to think healthy, very healthy. I'm purifying myself. I'm cleansing myself. I'm, I'm ready to kind of fill myself with toxins during the rest of the day. I'm going to drink loads of coffee after this. But yeah. my first step has been my, my amazing kind of hot water. And so it feels like the first, you know, that you're, it almost how you set your scene at the beginning of the That's day. That's it says something about how you want to look after yourself. So yeah. maybe that I'm going to drink four coffees after that. I have started with hot water and lemon. And um, it's like, a right, here's my laying out my scene, you know, um, I'm, I'm ready for the day. Brilliant. And how do, how do, you, reset, how do you reset in terms of pressure? Because you, you've said that you've got, you've got lots of stamina, <laughs> lots of stamina, and you tend to sort of press through pressure. At what point... I suppose you, you you know yourself but at what point do you decompress yeah so I so there are some things that really help to totally remove me from a certain environment so I used to play the saxophone when I was oh did you younger. oh my favorite and, instrument yeah. And then, and then I didn't, uh, we couldn't afford to buy one, obviously going back to my childhood. So I didn't then play for about 30 years or something. I just got out of the groove. And then three years ago, I thought, right, I literally on Christmas Eve, I went into a shop and bought a saxophone. (laughs) And um, I was like, right, that is my Christmas present to myself. Good for you. I started taking lessons. So, so that really helps decompress because if you're, if, if there's anyone listening who plays music, you will know that if you play music, if Mm. you're doing a piece of music, you cannot think about anything else. You have to focus on the notes, you know, focus on your technique and all of those sorts of things. It's impossible to think about other things that you should be doing, haven't done and all the rest of it. So I think that that's a really important bit of decompressing. Mm. And then I think, you know, time with friends, you know, I mean, it's so precious and we can see through this, you know, terrible period that we've been living through Mm. how much we love, miss, enjoy get pleasure from our friends how Mm -hmm. much they kind of lift us up how you know so so you know the the kind of getting rid of some of the pressure is sometimes about just time with friends and um you know really loving that and 
and again it gives you a bit of distance from something you know yeah. if, if there is something tricky and you want to talk about it with your friends mm -hmm. you know it's really great to have that that other people's kind of experience and perspectives and they help to they help to kind of shrink the problem you That's know i always it. think that there's something about those those great friendship groups that whatever mm -hmm. it is you're facing mm -hmm. they somehow help to kind of shrink it or 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 you know some things are so awful they can't quite be shrunk but they help they help to to play something loving alongside it. You know, if someone's got some real pain. Yes. They help to place an, another note in in the kind of in the in the music stave or something. You know, there are some bits of pain. I sort of you know people who've had terrible losses where a kind of low note is always playing. You know, they can't. Yeah. It's not ever going to go away. But actually, what you can do is put some other notes in in their in their piece of music, some mm. notes that are kind of joyful, and so they sit alongside it. They they kind of create a different space for something happy. And I think, um, yeah, friends are really important for that. Wonderful, That's beautifully said. I love that. And like you put here, you know, laughter. You know, I just laughter is just so important as well, isn't it? It's such a great way of releasing. Yeah. Yeah, any negative sort of vibes that you're that you're going through so um yeah i think laughter is a is a key one for me I, definitely a key one who, who was the most influential person in your life and what was the biggest lesson they taught you yeah it's interesting i don't know if i think that there was one i think um it was it, this is a little kind of side story but I, <laughs> older family friend um, whose whose husband? So she's in her late eighties. She's amazing. She's the person who says every day is a gift. You know, she wakes mm -hmm. up sort of saying, you know, tomorrow is a gift. Don't take it for granted. That's it. So she's incredibly positive. Her her husband used to work with my father in the in the in the tile factory, and um, uh, I remember her once saying to me, she runs some kind of cancer group, um, uh, that she met someone there who said. Oh, Rodoika, wow, gosh, you know, I was like a mother to Rodoika. And and I so I was but my friend Elizabeth couldn't remember the names that the name of the person. So I started kind of going through a list of names, like no, no, no. And it made me suddenly realise, my God, I had all these lovely people mm. wanting to be kind to me. And um, I haven't placed the mother, the, the person who felt like they'd been a mother, because actually there were there were lots of people thinking that they were playing sort of similar roles in some way yes. and trying to be really sort of you know kind and and helpful. So so I don't think that I had kind of one mentor. I think I had I had a this this kind of wide net of supporters, yeah. and that it was more about a network than a single individual. Sure. So I think I think. You know, it goes back to the, the thing that we were saying at the beginning. I think the what did I learn from that? I learned, you know, there are many more people ready to help you mm. than you ever realise. Yes. You just need to ask. Yeah. You know, that if you ask, 10 people will spring forward before you know it. Mm -hmm. what, what keeps you motivated? Learning, learning, mm -hmm. learning. Um yeah, I think, I mean, really sort of learning and then the desire to change things. You yeah. know, I think, you know, that thing about sort of privilege and about inequality, um, you know, and and if I think about my work with organisations, I want to do the things that help organisations be better. My mm. worst kind of client is a client that's 
going through the motions and just doing something because someone's told them that they've got to do it okay. or, you know or there's some kind of pressure for them to have to do something because I want them to be committed to change yeah and if there isn't a commitment to change then I'm I feel a bit you know oh no I'm the wrong person to be working with them because I'm all about the hundred percent you know I'm not a sort of you know well I'll just kind of wing along and put 30 percent of effort in I'm I'm once I'm in your camp I'm hundred yes, percent camp yeah and um and I I you know it's a kind of emotional engagement it's not it's not just intellectual suddenly I care about what your organization does and mm. who it works with and what makes it more effective and um so so the sort of drive for change you know is is a massive motivation for me fantastic and i love what you've put here i if i don't have access to beauty i get down can you can you elaborate yeah if i think about when i get depressed then i think it's about not somehow that all the beauty is being squeezed out so i'm not mm. seeing listening to amazing music or seeing art or going to the cinema or watching some amazing dramas or reading some books or being in beautiful landscapes you know or yes. even really simple gardens or something mm. but there's something about color and Same. drama and creativity and vibrancy and um how it stirs my brain and my emotions yeah if i don't have those stimuli it's like i'm i'm like a plant that hasn't been watered you mm. know the leaves all start to go a bit wrinkly <laughs> you know something's going to fall off somewhere you know and i'm going to look very sort of ailing and it yeah. makes me kind of shrink into myself so so i need those things to expand me i need them to you know make all my leaves kind of you know unfold and burst out and yes. make me feel that I am the 100% person sort of thing so so beauty beauty does something to my brain and just mm -hmm. just kind of creates a different space for me yes so it's you know for me it's really I, I really notice if if somehow I've been so busy at work that you know, I haven't done any kind of nice cultural things. And obviously it's been complicated during this period or that I haven't been outside, you know, really kind of in yeah. nature in some way, then um, somehow life, life feels like it's monotone. You know, yeah. It's not, you know, I need it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what life is about, isn't it? Vodokia? You know, it's about embracing it and enjoying it. And yeah, just, I know, enjoying everything that you see or what you've got you know what you're connected to and it could be just just going out into your garden being at one with nature just to boost boost you you know just to boost your energy look how amazing so although it was this calamitous event when we first had the lockdown but yeah. look how amazing it was for making people appreciate something around them That's you know the it. peace the bird song i know they're all sort of cliches now but mm. those first few weeks they were like this sort of slightly giddying thing in a way um, yeah. but they gave us you know sometimes i used to think oh i'd love the whole world to stop for a minute so yeah. that i could kind of catch up a little bit well you know what the whole world did kind of stop mm. and suddenly we could appreciate the environment around us yeah you know, and that thing of sort of going out once a day it, I, I loved seeing different people walking and thinking mm. 
wow, I really, I hope this becomes some kind of habit that they have forever. You know, yeah. that somehow this kind of immersion into this different experience and being outside and, you know, I watched them, some, you know, signets go from being really tiny, like a little ball of fluff, right into Aww. big swans. And yes. normally I'd be too busy to watch that journey of their That's growing it. up. And um, so it's, that all sounds a bit soppy, doesn't it? And no, like, it's, it's just real. But, no, it's... But, you know, actually there are really taking time to sort of appreciate what's around us. I'm that's sure right. is something that's a kind of, you know, we don't, shouldn't entirely let go of in some way. Absolutely. And not just around you as in externally, you know, it's just thoughts in your home as well, you know, cause I mean, there's some people who have not, haven't got gardens or, you know, who can't go out for whatever reason, but it's just of say, you know, just being grateful, being trying to be, appreciative of what you've got around you you know whether it's a a book or whatever you you know it's just taking stock and just giving thanks for what you've got and like you said this climate did obviously make us do that you know yeah, I, I may just think about the people who as you said haven't got those things yeah so in my street for example there's a there's a whatsapp group with about 100 people on it mm. and just you know, some people were really open about the fact I'm in a small flat with young kids, no yeah. garden, and, you know, other people surface up, you know, paper, pen, scrabble, this, that, you know, mm. one, one of the kids, you know, had to make a kind of robot from boxes. All of a sudden we were sailing them with boxes of different sizes, oh, you know. brilliant. And so it, it's that thing. If you ask for help in some of those circumstances, actually there are a lot of people who want to help, but remember not everyone has got what you've got so that's put, right put yourself out make the effort mm -hmm. that's right absolutely absolutely just a few more questions we could just go on we can go on can't we <laughs> so i've got definitely got to get you back what <laughs> accomplishments are you most proud of and what is your next biggest goal so i was i was proud of going to oxford university from 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 you know the circumstances that i've been in with my dad not yeah. being able to read and write and things you know that's kind of challenge i used to have to write my own you know um poorly notes to school you know, <laughs> um and sign them as my dad um so i was proud of that or um and and i was really proud of getting a phd actually you know because that felt like a, mm. a sort of proper proper big girls piece of work or something um and I, i've been proud of things like you know buying my own home obviously i'm still paying for it sort of thing so there are some things where there are kind of markers and things but yes. to be honest that i'm probably most proud of having an amazing group of friends yes you know i just feel i'm so lucky to have the friendship group that i have they're yeah. all brilliant people nice kind loving mm -hmm. people you know and that that so those other experiences yes me those friends and that feels that's the biggest gift that i got from going to university it wasn't wasn't my qualifications or it was it was the people that i've met and um that i'm lucky enough to kind of call my friends i'm just blessed and oh. i really am you know Brilliant. I'm, I, I can relate to that 100%. How, I mean, our friends are our friends. I mean, how do you nurture your friendships? Because I think it's nurturing is very important, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, I think I think it's important to 
step forward when you know there's something difficult going on for one of your friends mm -hmm. available and not not um not let fear fear of sort of saying the wrong thing or something not let that hold you back in some way so i've seen in different over the many years of you know friendships that, that actually when something is difficult or bad you you must you must sit alongside them yes you know, it's really important that that feels kind of kernel to friendship mm. but i think sort of nurturing them is you know both about the big things and the small things you know mm. find times to get together and have a really good celebration and, and all of those sorts of things but the small things can be you know your little whatsapp group and that's it you know if someone says they're having a miserable time you kind of make time to send them a message saying something really you know you're amazing you know really upbeat really and, positive yeah so <laughs> so again it's like a sort of tending of things don't don't take it for granted you know yeah. um when they need you make sure make sure that you you respond mm. um but other times it's just you know things like like you were saying before about laughter we definitely even through whatsapp me and some of my friends we have some real belly laughs you know that's we suddenly get off on a little joke and yeah <laughs> a bit of word play or something <laughs> And those those little things are important too because it's sort mm -hmm. of in a way they just they just make everyone go off into their days feeling really happy. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And that and that I guess that kind of well, we are at the that generation we are sort of further on in our lives than obviously some of our our listeners. But what would you what advice would you sort of give to our sort of younger listeners about friends? I guess it is about surrounding yourself with good people and who have got your back, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. Find your true friends. Yeah. Really. Find them. You know, sometimes it takes a little while. It's not, I know when I went to university, I felt like it took me the first 10 weeks to really find my friends. So mm -hmm. the first few weeks when you, you know, so if anyone's going to a new school or that kind of experience, don't be too hard on yourself if it takes, it takes a little while to find your true friends, but, yeah. but keep looking for them. You know, yes. don't, don't sort of feel like you've got to, you've got to sort of hold out forever in some sort of group that isn't quite you in some way. You've got to be able to be you in your friendship group mm -hmm. and your friends will recognize the things they love about you and will tolerate the things that are really annoying about you, you know, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, find find your true friends. There there will be true friends. You might yes. not found them yet. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Just a couple more. Couple more questions. How do you? No, no. So last question. What would you say to your thirteen, eighteen, and twenty-one year old self? I would say. Um, I know you asked me this before, and I forgot what I said. But I think you I mean? would say to yeah. Well, Bertie, so yeah, this is uh, this is a bumpy ride. I like that. Yeah, yeah, this is a bumpy ride. So my teenage years were hard, you know, because my dad didn't really want me to go out, didn't want me to do this, didn't want me to do that, didn't want me to play the saxophone, didn't want me to do this, you know. So um, it was hard because I felt a bit trapped, and I I knew, you know, there's a world out there and there's a whole bunch of things I want to do, but this is really hard. So I spent a lot of time listening to music in my room mm -hmm. with my head out of the bedroom window, <laughs> you know, when my dad was at home. When my dad wasn't at home, I'd be sort of going out and things. So, um, so it felt it felt bumpy and hard, and I felt the real kind of conflict between um, my identity at home in some way and 
and wanting to kind of fit in in other environments you know I felt very conflicted all of the time and sort of never never quite my whole self so yeah. it felt you know it felt hard yeah and your 18 year old self I think my 18 year old self was yay I'm about to move environments and mm -hmm. um you know so there was a bit of me that was excited about about escaping to somewhere somewhere different although you know I have to say my dad and my brothers my dad's not alive now but they're all lovely people so I wouldn't want anyone to kind of go away thinking there was some nasty people it's just a really tough time I think um but I would also say to my 18 year old self you know it may take a little while to find your friends don't worry about that you may feel a bit insecure and unconfident going to university because there are lots of people who sounded very posh very clever you know mm. could rattle off loads of books or something and it took me again it probably took me a term to realize i, I, I can hold my own here mm, but at okay. the beginning that confidence that some other people had mm. you know that come through their own school environments you know super confident super super um sort of you know um valuing their own sort of learnedness it felt a bit intimidating so yeah. um yeah uh, uh, so i would say to my 18 year old self you're about to step into this adventure don't worry it's going to take you a little while to to find your feet yeah and you've also put something here about move on from being lovesick oh yes oh well <laughs> is that another story yeah, so that, well, it is another story but i, I would definitely say to anyone younger who's listening for heaven's sake, you know, don't don't spoil your next experiences by hanging on to something that's in your past experiences mm -hmm. because it, it will curdle the milk in some way. You that's know, it. I should have gone ready, you know, for, um, you know, the adventure, as it were. And I was sort of feeling pained about something, you know, uh, in, in my past. And 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 now I just I would. I would, you know, knock some sense into myself and say, shake myself. Like, For heaven's sake, don't spend don't spend five minutes on that. Yeah. Look at there's all of this stuff ahead of you. Yeah. This is not going to help you in any way, and it's going it's going to spoil some of your experiences. Put it behind you. Draw a line. Yeah. You know, move on. Um, so so. Those things that feel so acute in the moment, don't they? Yes. Just, oh. just remember, they, you know, try and kind of fast forward yourself five years. Am I going to yeah. feel like this in five years? No, I can, you're not. Yeah. So don't try and, try and do what you can to sort of, to kind of push it, push it well past, yeah. you know, well into the past. Yeah. It's easier said than done, I was I just know. about to say that. It's easier so, said than done. We've all been there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and your 21 year old self um i i well i think i would say you know there's sort of experimentation there's kind of finding your different way through your 20s don't worry about that you don't need to sort of land in exactly the right place yes. you know so it, it, in a way you're still finding yourself in your 20s and that's yeah. okay you know i think it think it takes a little while to pull together all of the different parts of who you are yeah. and sort of you know 
mold them into one and say, okay, now I get it. This is who I am. And I'm not, I'm going to be this person. I'm going to probably be this person forever. And that's okay. You know, I'm, 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 I've reached an accommodation with that and I get it and I understand it. And I also know what it looks like to other people. So I don't think you know that when you're 21, but I Mm. think through your 20s, you start to kind of develop an understanding of that. Brilliant, brilliant. And what three tips or pieces of advice would you give a teenager? I mean, you've given so many pieces of advice throughout this conversation. I mean, find something that absorbs you and let you escape, you know, you've put here. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Also two, know the things that stroke your heart. And three, don't just hold the worries, unpack them. I love that. Unpack them. I like that. Yeah. Look at them and remember you are more than these worries, you know, and yeah. such great pieces of advice. Do, do you want to add to, add to that? No, I, no? Think, I think, you know, I think, that thing about worries is sometimes the fear of the worries is worse than the worries the things that you're sort of stressing about yeah which is why you kind of need to unpack them a bit have a look at them you know fa- mm-hmm. face them so that thing of the sort of middle of the night feeling of you know kind of um, quivering anxiety about something yeah it's somewhere you need to kind of shine the light on it and have a proper look at it and say what can I do with this that's and, it. and that's where it sometimes helps that the thing about finding the friends to kind of talk those things through with um and and I think yeah stroking your heart you know what is it mm. that makes you happy what is it that makes you feel good find those things you yeah. know make sure they're stitched into the fabric of how you're living mm-hmm. really important yep and they're aligned with your your values you know I, I think that's very important is doing whatever you do is aligned with your values and if they're not in aligned with your values then stay away from them you know because they're not they're not they're not going to serve you because they're not aligned with your with your values i totally agree i i think i think um you will be unhappy mm. if you're not positioned from your values let your values help, you know, shape and guide your decision making. Yes. And if something doesn't feel right, because it doesn't sit with your values, it's probably not right for you. Mm. You know, you'll be inauthentic. That's Don't right. be in situations where you need to pretend to be somebody who you're not and don't want to be. Yeah. So have confidence about this is my set of values. Mm-hmm. This is my lodestar, you know, my compass. Yes. And it's specific to me and I feel good about it and I'm going to use it to help me, help me think about the things that I do want to do and the things that I don't want to do. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Just a couple more questions. What legacy or impact would you like to leave? It's a really hard one, isn't it? Because there's a bit of me that thinks, how oh, do I want to leave a legacy or an impact? Because it sort of feels like this, this sort of almost like a narcissistic thing. And I think, and I sort of feel if you're a good person or if you try to be a good person, you'll leave an impact on the people who love you anyway. So mm. that will be there. You know, they'll carry that. And we know that ourselves from people that we've lost. Yeah. Who, with good people that actually their legacy and impact is sort of, it's like we carry them all the time and think, Oh, wish Fiona was here, Mm. you know, that you remember something about someone. So, so I suppose I would hope that, 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 that's, you know, there. And I, I, 
I, I want to make things in my sphere of influence better so that that if I can have an impact it will be that somehow through all of the things that I do in all of my tiny little worlds that somehow I'm, I'm helping to make the things better and that if I'm not there one day that someone's I'm, I'm not sure that I care about someone remembering that actually I'm more cared that it has changed yes so it, I don't need to have the the, the kind of legacy the impact is great even if even if someone isn't remembering that I had a role in it I'd, sure. I'd be cool with that great 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 and my last question what's the most important message you would like to leave with us today be kind to yourself love yourself find find what what you want to love about you mm -hmm. don't be apologetic about that and um yeah and use your friends use your supporters use your family you know i haven't talked a lot about family because my family circumstances were sort of different they weren't all orientated around let's sort of pour love into people but there will be people listening who get who get that injection sure. from their family and use them too wonderful well, that's it. We've come to the end. Oh, that was I great. Was thank oh, you, no, thank you. Oh, such a true honour, Rodoikia. Thank a you. Lovely, lovely interviewing style. Very relaxing. Oh, bless. Thank you. I'm definitely going to get you back on. <laughs> I'm definitely getting <laughs> back if, you, if you'd love to come back on that. <laughs> I'd love to come back on. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. My listeners, thank you so much for listening. As always, I hope you got as much value out of this conversation as much as I did. I just loved it. I'm always, I'm loving all my conversations. They're all so powerful. And if you want to hear more inspirational stories, please keep tuning in or follow me on Instagram, Oyana Voices for inspirational content. This is Carol Oakley. Peace and love to you all. See you again soon. <laughs>